Hey friends, welcome back to the Compass Church. I miss you all so much and cannot wait till we someday are back together again, worshiping the Lord together. Oh, it's been tough, has it not? This pandemic has lasted so long and it's stretching some of us to the bare edge of what we can take. You know, a guy just mentioned in passing, this too shall pass. And that simple truth was so encouraging to me. We're gonna get through this. It's gonna be behind us one day. So let's hang in there. And in the meantime, it's so good to study beautiful truth, good news in the midst of hard times. And that's what this series, Tremors, is all about. It's a study of the subtle activity of God. Tremors. You see here, I have a device, maybe you know what this is. This is called a seismograph. A seismograph is capable of detecting and recording the subtle movements of the Earth's surface. You know, this series is based on Paul's drama in Philippi. I should comment on my teaching from Philippi. I confused some of you last week. How did he get to Philippi? Just a little backstory. So seven years ago, before I came to the Compass Church, I had opportunity to go to Philippi and spent time there teaching Acts chapter 16 from the actual spot it all occurred. How fun was that? Well, all this video footage has been sitting in waiting, kind of looking for the right spot to utilize it. And that spot has come. So in this series, you'll see each week a combination of footage from Philippi combined with my uh, teaching today. So you ready? Here we are. Philippi was known for its earthquakes. It was right on that fault line that led to much seismic activity. In fact, Acts 16 is known for a famous earthquake that came when Paul and Silas were in that city in jail. The earthquake actually freed them miraculously from their jail. And though that's the most famous part of Acts chapter 16, you and I are discovering that God's activity goes way beyond that one big earthquake. Similarly, God's activity today goes way beyond the, the big, bold, and the miraculous. We all love the big, bold, and the miraculous. We love the earthquakes, if you will. But the majority of God's activity is of the more subtle type. It's the tremors. It's the tremors that if you don't have a, you know, a seismograph, can sense those little fluctuations of the earth's crust when you would otherwise miss it altogether. Similarly, Acts chapter 16 functions like a seismograph, teaching us how to notice, uh, sense, and enjoy the subtle activity of God. Last week was the first tremor of God, and that is that God guides. We looked at seven different ways that God guides, and, and I hope uh, that was meaningful to you. I know it continues to be meaningful to me. Well, this week we're going to be looking at a tremor called God stirs, and then we're talking about stirring in the heart. Sometimes tremors are not external. They're internal. In fact, you're the only one that can sense God's activity in that way. Stirring of the heart as it relates to the Word of God. The theological term is called the doctrine of illumination. That's what we're studying. An invisible, internal 
tremor. Maybe this little story would help you understand that. So uh, years ago, I had this lamp, and the lamp was old, and I wanted to get rid of it, but it was plugged behind a bookshelf. Uh, The books were so heavy, and I didn't want to move them, and I couldn't get to the plug back behind the bookshelf. And so I decided, oh, I'm going to throw the lamp away. Why don't I just cut the cord and check it? So I grabbed some metal scissors, and I grabbed the cord to cut. Some of you are a lot smarter than I. I I was just about to cut it, and I'm like, whoa, 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 that could have been bad. I could have electrified myself. And so I very wisely turned off the lamp and then cut the cord. Uh, do Do you see the problem still? Some of you are like, that makes sense to me, Jeff. Hey, I'm not the brightest guy around the block. I, I, uh, well, here, you guess what happened. What do you think happened when I cut that cord? Some of you were like, I bet there were sparks. Oddly enough, there were no sparks. Others of you, I bet you felt it. Oh, did I feel it. Friends, I'm telling you, electricity went through my body. You, you look at me, you didn't see anything other than telling that I feel something. Well, the doctrine of illumination is similar in regards to it being an internal movement of God, one that sometimes fills our whole body with energy and passion as God is speaking to us by his spirit, through his word. Can't wait to study with you the doctrine of illumination. And to do so, we need to go to Philippi. This ancient theater was here in the days when the Apostle Paul visited Philippi. And so quite possibly, during his days in Philippi, Paul came to this very spot to enjoy the entertainment with the other citizens of the town. The design of the theater is really quite remarkable. You need to remember that in those ancient times, there was no amplification, there was no microphone. And so the designer of the theater took in the principles of acoustic and applied them to his design so that of the thousands of people who gathered, they all could hear even the slightest whisper of the performer. Isn't that great? What a tragedy it would have been to come and to be here if you couldn't hear. I mean, some of the greatest singers and orators and actors in all the world came. And if you could not connect with the power, with the quality of that performance, it would have been a real loss. The designer of the theater helps us really hear. Do you know that we're going to discover today that God serves a similar function in the spiritual realm. He helps us to really hear the proclaimed word of God. We're in a series called Tremors, and we're studying the subtle activity of God. And one of the ways that he works subtly behind the scenes is in the hearts of people. God, this passage says, can open our heart to drink in the rich power of his proclaimed truth. One of the ways that God brings tremors to our lives is when the preaching of his word goes forth, he works in us to open our heart. And now let's rejoin Paul and his friends outside the city of Philippi. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate 
to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. On the Sabbath, Paul wanted to see if there were any Jews in Philippi. He knew that Jews would not worship in the city gates. Jews viewed the pagan city as an unworthy place for holy worship. And so the tradition was they worshiped just outside the city gates. And just outside the city gates here of Philippi is this river, this spot. And we can say with confidence that this is the location of this biblical event because of these massive stones that are here. These massive stones are the remnant of a monument that the earliest Christians built to commemorate this location as where the biblical events took place. So, it was right here. It was right here that a group of women had gathered on the Sabbath to pray, to worship God. Can you imagine them sitting here when this man Paul and his friends come walking up? Paul introduces himself as a rabbi. And it was the tradition back then that a visiting rabbi would be given the microphone. He would be given a chance to preach. And Paul did just that. He began to declare the word of God and his own encounters with this Jesus Christ. And one of the women who was there to hear him was a woman by the name of Lydia. Verse 14 says, One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, and she was a worshiper of God. Let's talk about Lydia for a moment. We know she's not from Philippi originally. Thyatira is over in modern Turkey. So she lived there, but had traveled over the Aegean Sea into the land of Greece. Maybe it was her business that brought her here. We know she was a dealer in purple cloth. It's a big deal. Purple cloth was the most expensive clothing made. Only the richest of the rich could afford it. So Lydia was a successful businesswoman operating and selling to the most wealthy in the land. She also was a worshiper of God, and she had joined these ladies to pray and to encounter the living God. And it was Lydia who responded so powerfully to the message of Paul. When Paul started preaching, God started moving. Let's take a look at what that's described as. The end of verse 14 says, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. One of the tremors of God, one of the ways he shows up is that he moves in the heart of people in response to the word of God. When I say response to the word of God, that may be to preaching the word of God, as in the case of Lydia, or in the case of us when we're at church. But that movement of the heart in response to the word can also be when we're in personal Bible study. God started stirring, started opening. You interested to understand this tremor a little better? I like to just imagine what Lydia experienced in that sacred moment. She had come to that river hungry for God, hungry for any truth that would help her spiritually. And lo and behold, this stranger named Paul shows up 
And boy, could Paul preach. What do you think he preached that day? You can bet it was the gospel message, the central truth of what Christ came to do. I imagine maybe it went like this. Paul said, ladies, we are all followers of the one true God. And we know from old that God has promised the coming of a Messiah, a rescuer, a savior. And Paul said, I'm here to tell you, he has come. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's different, better than what we expected. So many of us expected that the Savior would come to deliver us politically from the tyrant of Rome. Turns out his rescue plan was far bigger than any of us ever imagined. He has come not to save a few people at a certain time, but to save all people, to offer a freedom from sin to the whole world, to generations yet to be born. This rescue plan is immense. He has come to bring forgiveness. Every human heart aches with the guilt knowing we've rebelled and sinned against our maker. Well, this Christ, this Jesus, this Messiah, he has come to bring forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Can you imagine Lydia just saying, tell me more? Paul told her more. He said his means of rescue was different than what we anticipated. So many expected he would wield the sword. No, he rescued with a cross. He died on the cross. I can imagine the ladies going, what? How is that a rescue? Paul continues, we should have expected this. You know, our sacrificial system has taught us, you know, how we placed our hands on that innocent lamb and somehow our guilt was transferred to the lamb and then the lamb had to go and die on our behalf and his death brought us forgiveness. It's all to teach us the rescue method of the Messiah. Jesus, God incarnate. He came and all the sins of the world were miraculously transferred to him. And when he went to the cross, he was paying the death penalty for us all. God died for us. And because of what he's done, his rescue offer is extended to everyone, including you. What do you think? Friends, in that glorious moment, Lydia's mind was exploding. Her heart was Bounding. This was incredible. The, the scripture, let me return to the passage. It says in verse 14, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. That, that's the tremor we're looking at. That's the doctrine of illumination about God going in and moving in Lydia in response to this truth that she's been taught. And friends, uh, the, the word illumination, here, let me turn the light on. It means to light up. Illumination at its core is the scriptures there, whether through preaching like Lydia experienced with Paul or through personal study as we read the Bible. And God turns the light on. What wasn't seen is suddenly seen. This is the work of God to transform a heart through the scriptures. I don't want to oversimplify the doctrine of illumination. In fact, there are four aspects of what God does in this tremor that I'd like to make clear. The first part of illumination, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this light to remind us of the first part, and it is, I'll just use the word discovery. Discovery. The, the, the Spirit works in us to help us discover truth, great truth, 
in the book. In fact, I love this passage, Psalm 119, verse 18. The psalmist cries out to God, Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. That's exactly what illumination is. It's God, I know it's there. Even as you preach, I know it's there. Help me to see it, God. Help me to see the treasure. I experienced that just this morning. Here, I'll give you an example of illumination as far as discovery. I've been going through Romans, the book of Romans, and my personal time with God. And this morning I came upon Romans 5, 5. Simple statement. It says, God wants to pour his love into our hearts. I read that over and over again. God wants to pour his love into our hearts. I think I've read that many times. But it was lit up. It was illuminated by the Spirit this morning. And I was just like, wow, that's great. The word pour, this verb that describes liquid being transferred. God says, that's how the experience of my love is. I realized in that moment that the love of God is not a notion far away, but it's to be an experience that we have in the present. And I just was like, oh, Lord, this is good stuff. That's your love. I I thought of my uh, alabaster jar. I have this sitting by my desk. It reminds me of the love Mary had for Jesus. The Gospels record Mary had an alabaster jar and poured expensive perfume on Jesus to convey her love. I keep it as a reminder that I want to be like Mary, so in love with Christ. But then I realized the pouring is also what God does to us. The the Romans 5.5, God wants to pour his love on my heart. And in that moment of illumination, I was like, wow, now this alabaster jar reminds me of my love for God, his love for me. We love each other. Friends, oh, it was glorious. Why? Because the spirit tremor moving. Illumination. Okay, there's one. Let me show you a second part of the doctrine of illumination. Not only discovery, but also delight. And to convey the delight, the joy that the Spirit brings in relation to the Scriptures, I'm going to use a flame here. And you may wonder, why, Jeff? What's up with the flame? Well, there's a passage where this work of the Spirit is described as a burning of the heart. Some of you will recall we studied this on Easter. There were some disciples walking on a road to Emmaus, and they encountered Jesus, and he preached. He taught the word of God to them. Did illumination occur? Oh, yeah. Let me read it to you. Their words were this. This is Luke 24, verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us when he walked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Isn't that beautiful? Friends, they they recognize the stirring of the heart, this burning within. This is the enthusiasm brought by the Spirit regarding the truth. It's not enough to see it. You've got to feel it. And the delight that comes by the Spirit regarding the truth is just huge. This truth regarding the love of God poured into my heart. I, I didn't just see it. I delighted in it. That's God. That's tremors. That's him at work within. Now, here's, here's just an example of the delight, shall we? One, one illustration. Uh, sometimes old verses that we've known begin to burn anew. Uh, Billy Graham, Billy Graham, a saint who 
God used so powerfully, died recently. I think he was 99 years old. Studied the scriptures for the better part of a century. And Billy said this. He said, almost every time I read an old familiar passage, I see something new. Things I have known intellectually for years suddenly come alive to me in their fuller significance, almost miraculously. Can't you imagine Billy reading these familiar passages? But he, he says, I knew them up here, but now they're burning. My, my heart burns with delight and celebration. That emotional stir, that's part of illumination. That's part of the tremor of God. Here, here's another the third part of illumination is application. To uh, symbolize application here, I'm going to use a paintbrush. You know, a paintbrush applies. Uh, if, if it's good to have paint in a bucket, it's much better to have it on the wall, right? It takes what's good, but it applies it to where it's needed. And similarly, the Spirit of God can help us apply the truth of God to our lives. I'm reminded of that in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Paul says, I pray that the Holy Spirit may enlighten, there's the illumination, enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you see the hope, the inheritance, and the power that is for us who believe. Paul says, man, this stuff touches our lives. It brings hope, inheritance, power. Do do you realize how this stuff intersects our daily life and changes the way we talk and the way we walk and the way we think. And that's one of the great works of the Holy Spirit. As we read scripture, we say, Lord, I want it to apply to my daily life. And God will stir and show you how it does just that. One more. One more aspect of illumination, and that is recollection. Recollection. That's remembering. And to uh, illustrate this, I have a pillbox. This is mine. I'm officially a part of the old man club. I cannot remember if I took my medicine or not. And by having them laid out in different days, I can look and say, oh, yeah, I didn't take it yet. We all struggle to remember. And the Holy Spirit can help us regarding Scripture. We can remember Scripture, recollection. Here in John 14, verse 26, Jesus said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I have said. Christ is saying, Look, guys, after I've gone to be with the Father, the Spirit of God will come, and he, one of the things he will do is remind you of my teaching. Now, this was really necessary for the apostles who were going to need to write down Christ's teaching in our Gospels. They needed that remembering help. But we do too. We need throughout our day to be reminded of what God is trying to bring to us in a transformative way. Uh, just as I was driving my car today, I started thinking again about that love of God being poured into my heart. The Lord reminded me of that great truth I had seen and felt and applied, and now I'm being reminded of. This is the work of God. This is the doctrine of illumination. And friends, we need to sense this tremor, lean into it, enjoy it, and be changed by it. We're at a beautiful outdoor sanctuary built by modern Christians. They actually diverted part of the river 
so that it flows through a baptismal pool so that Christians today can be baptized in the same water that Lydia was baptized in. Yes, Lydia was baptized at this location. Let's read. Verse 15. When Lydia and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Lydia was a woman on fire. God's work in her heart was so effective that we see the passion demonstrated here. First of all, she persuaded Paul and his companions to stay at her house. The implication is that at first they said, no, 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 we don't need to do that. And she said, do you consider me a believer? Yes. Then come to my house. <laughs> She's on fire. Look at, look at her passion demonstrated in getting baptized. Not only did she receive Jesus, but at that moment, she said, what do you do to celebrate this new faith? Paul described baptism. She said, let's do it. Now? Now. And she got into that water. Lydia was changed. Folks, when we look to be opened in our heart to God's word, we're not looking for a high. We're not looking for a buzz, a little thrill. We're looking to be changed. That's why we want God to move in our heart. Because when his word is combined with his spirit moving in us, it's going to change us. We will never be the same again. Why did God bless Lydia with this tremor, with this stirring of her heart, this illumination regarding the preaching of God's word? We got to ask that question of why Lydia, because we want to do the same. We want that illumination to be our enjoyment as well. Here's what I got to tell you. So clearly in Lydia's story, we find this. Seekers are finders. Well, that's a basic biblical principle. Those who seek God and his truth find God and his truth. If you don't care about the pursuit, the seeking, you won't experience the illumination. But Lydia was a woman relentlessly committed to that pursuit. In fact, she had so many excuses she could have used as to why she couldn't seek the truth. But she didn't use any of those excuses. Let, let me point them out. The first is that she wasn't Jewish. She was a Gentile. She didn't grow up in a family that worshipped the one true God. And she could have said, listen, I know there are those religious types, those Jews, but I'm not one of them. It's just not how I roll. Lydia would not let her past define her future. And she says, I don't care if I'm a Gentile. I'm not letting that be an excuse. I'm going to meet those Jewish ladies down by the river, and we're going to talk about the scriptures, and I'm going to pursue the truth about God. Another excuse she could have used is, I'm too busy. She was a successful businesswoman. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was an entrepreneur and a good one. And a lot of people who are succeeding in business, there's a temptation to say, I don't have time for spiritual things. Lydia's going, I'm not going there. I'll work hard to advance my business, but I'm, I'm going to make the most important things number one, and that is eternal matters. I'll be there with those ladies on the river, on the Sabbath. I'm not working on that day. I'm going to seek God. Friends, don't let 
The, the busyness of work distract you from the pursuit of God and his truth. Here's another excuse Lydia could have used, and that is that this gathering of ladies by the river, it wasn't a real synagogue. To have a designation as an official synagogue, in those days you needed 10 men. That was just kind of the rule. How many men did they have? Zero, until Paul and Silas showed up. Zero. Was an official status as a synagogue. Lydia said, I don't care. If they're talking about the word of God, I'll be there. Kind of see a parallel to our present situation. I can imagine people saying, that's not church. This video thing, that ain't church. You're right, it's not church, at least how we know it. But are you going to use that as an excuse? Or are you going to say, hey, I'm in pursuit of the truth of God, and I will go after it in every means I've got. And if it's a little strange, if it's video church, I'll use it. Here's another. She could have used the excuse of having no facility. Normally, a synagogue or a study or a worship event would use some kind of a building. But in Philippi, the Jews didn't have that access, so they found themselves by a river outdoors. Lydia said, I don't care, building, no building. I'm pursuing the Lord. Is that applicable or what? We are denied access of our facilities, at least in a large group right now. And for a lot of us, that's just really awkward. But Lydia, if she were here, she'd say, don't let that stop you. I'm going after God and his truth in personal Bible study in quarantine and through video church in quarantine. I don't need to be in the church building. I'm going to pursue the Lord. Man, I pray that you have this fire, this passion to seek so that you can find through the stirring of God called the doctrine of illumination. You know, we have a young woman in our church named Kristen, and she just inspires me. She reminds me of Lydia. Recently, she's had a moment where she's decided, God, I'm making the pursuit of you the number one objective in my life. She is a seeker. She's a finder. She's experiencing tremors. So I grew up my whole life going to church, youth group, Sunday school, you name it, I was there. Um, and I continued to do that throughout high school. Um, the last few years, kind of my junior and senior year of high school, I didn't really care as much. I kind of stopped pursuing a relationship. I was still going, but I didn't really get anything out of it because I didn't want to get anything out of it. Um, and I just kind of wanted to be able to do my own thing and not have to think about whether this was what God was wanting me to be doing. And then that kind of continued my freshman and sophomore year of college, you know, independence, trying new things, um, definitely was not listening to what God wanted me to be doing. And then my junior year, I kind of decided, okay, maybe um, having God back in my life wouldn't be terrible. So I started looking for churches again around campus um, to try to start pursuing him that way. And then that kind of continued on throughout my the beginning of my senior year. And then in 2020, I kind of decided, you know what, I don't want to do it halfway. Either I'm going to do it fully or I'm not going to do it at all. So I obviously wanted to do it fully. 
So I tried to start pursuing him more in ways that I thought I could do that. So I started reading my Bible every day, which was something that I wasn't doing. Started journaling, which was something that I hadn't been doing before. And I started praying a lot more than I had before, just kind of trying to seek him more. And then I um, was attending the Compass Church online because I didn't really find a church around campus that I loved. Um, so I would just log on every weekend and watch the messages um, that were posted on the website. And that was kind of how I was trying to pursue God. And then last week I was in the bathroom getting ready for bed and I was praying. I just have been super overwhelmed lately with my senior year of college ending early and me getting thrown into the adult world. I have no clue what I'm doing and everything that's going on in the world. I was just kind of like, I don't know what is going to happen after this, but I like to be in control and I'm like super not in control right now. So I was just kind of praying about that. And I just like, all of a sudden as I was praying, I just like felt like this presence in the bathroom with me and I knew that it was God. And I just like felt this immediate peace in my heart about everything that I had been praying about. And I just kind of felt him like putting his hand on my shoulder saying like, you know what, it's okay. Like I have the most amazing plan for you and you are going to see that sooner or later, soon enough, and I just like, I didn't even know, like, it was just so emotional. I put on um, my Shuffle Caleb playlist on Spotify. And the first song that came on is my favorite worship song, Come to the Altar. And I was like, okay, God, yep, you're definitely here with me right now. And I started crying and it was just like so amazing. It was such an amazing experience. And I just like, I don't know why he decided to give me that experience, but I'm so thankful that he did because um, now I'm just feeling so much more connected even in the past week. I'm reading my Bible, I'm feeling more connected in that way. When I'm journaling, I'm feeling just changes in the way that I'm journaling, the way I'm praying. Um, I texted my mom that I wanna get baptized and I wanna fully dedicate myself to him um, and make a proclamation of that. And I'm so excited because I feel like this experience has been a turning point in my relationship with Christ. And I'm so excited to have him at the center of my life. And I can't wait to see what his plan is for me in the future.